There is a lot on that back table there, so make sure you grabbed everything. Uh, either for tonight or what you might have missed from the last couple classes. So there's three outlines back there. The outline for tonight, class three. But there's also the outlines from the first two classes. So if you missed one of the last two Wednesdays, that's okay. You can get one of those outlines. Um, we've been giving away a free resource each class. First two classes were uh, Who Will Be King, put out by Matthias Media, and then Children Desiring God's uh, Helping Children to Understand the Gospel. So those are both, those are both back there. So please take one. And then um, the, the free partying gift for tonight is, uh, is this. My wife loves this. Uh, wise words for moms. And it is just a, 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 a it's, it's a reference. It's full of biblical references to help you uh, deal with a, a number of different issues that you might come up against with your children. So uh, wise words for moms. Uh, dads, you're welcome to look at it too. In fact, I don't know if you know this, they actually have an iPhone app now for uh, wise words for moms. It's like a, it's like a buck or two bucks, and it, it's everything there, and you can just, you know, because sometimes you don't have time to find, like, this little booklet, and so if you've got your iPhone, you can just get to it real quick and, and find the scripture. A couple other things that are there, uh, the resource list, which we gave out last week, so uh, if you didn't get a copy of that, make sure you get a copy of the resource list. And then last, the um, there's another uh, sheet there called Gospel versus Religion that I find really helpful just in life and uh, helpful toward parenting as well. And it just helps you to see the differences between um, gospel and religion. And when we say that, we mean um, saved by faith through grace, gospel, or saved by works, which even if we don't say we believe that, has a, just a tendency to creep in. So uh, it, it gives a comparison there that I have found that I have found really helpful. And then I wanted to uh, also announce, I drew a name. Um, we're giving away uh, one, two, three, four, five, I think, resources here. And that's going to go to uh, Franklin and Kristen. So excited for you guys. I actually told him, uh, I think this morning or yesterday, I said, hey, make sure you come tonight. And that was my, <laughs> that was my incentive to get him here. Um, so anyway, um, I've got these up here, Franklin, but I just need to uh, run these through Marina before I hand them over so she knows that we can have an, an account for that. Um, upcoming classes, let me remind you of some classes that are coming up. Next Wednesday, Wednesday is our baptism class. So required for everyone who's interested in, in, in be, being baptized at our baptism event in June. Or if you just want to uh, refresh your course on baptism, it obviously will be helpful for that. And uh, a big part of that class is talking about baptizing children. You know, when do we baptize our kids? Uh, what, what kind of thought should go into that? What kinds of questions should we ask? So we're going to spend a big chunk of time talking about that. So that's why we're, well, maybe that's not why, but I'm glad it falls right on the heels of the parenting class because I think it, it's, it's good timing for that. Uh, then we have in uh, June, there's two Wednesdays, June 19th and June 26th is our Foundations for Fathers class. That's uh, exclusively for dads. So 
for you dads and, and dads you know, and that's going to apply to not just dads of, of, of little ones, but, but all dads. And, um, uh, and then on October, uh, way out, so after summer, October 9th, 16th, and 23rd, we're going to have a class called The Family Worshiping Together. Really excited about that. And just a practical look at, at family worship, what that's looked like historically, um, what that can look like in, in our day. And then um, we'll give you guys a lot of resources and, and help you help you forge uh, something for your family. And then November 3rd, again, we're going to make Advent resources available so that we can um, celebrate Christmas as a, as a church family and then you as individual families um, in this, this December. Our class goal, as a reminder, is to encourage and to equip you to lead your young children toward and to Christ. Just want to keep that in front of us. The goal of this class is, my goal is to encourage you and uh, to equip you, at least foundationally, equip you foundationally to lead your children, your little ones, um, toward Christ. And ultimately the goal, the hope, is is to Christ. So we've had three classes so far. Uh, the first class, what parents are for. Second class, prophets, priests, kings and oxen and then class three tonight uh, when you sin and you will a lot or um, dealing with sin in the home could be another another name for tonight's class Um, last week i answered a lot of the questions that have been turned in Um, tonight that's also just woven into the message trying to respond to a lot of those questions there may be though a few that i I didn't get to that i might get to in something in weeks to come and and if not though just ask it Ask it again if, it, if it's pressing or you felt like it was missed. I want to make sure that you don't have big questions that go unanswered. And as well, um, the audio, we've recorded all these and uh, they're all uh, edited. We're just we're having some trouble with the um, the uh, the owners of our website, whatever you whatever you call that, um, trying to figure out a place where we can put the audio for classes so that it's not just mixed in with all the sermons. So anyway, uh, Jeff Nichols is working that out, and they should be they should be up in the next week or two. Quick review: Class one and class two. Uh, class one: What parents are for? Five points that night. Number one: A biblical view of children. Children are created by God and are entrusted to us as blessed gifts. Two, the biblical view of parents and parenting. Parents are those graciously entrusted with children so that they may labor for their good and God's glory through them. Three, a biblical goal or hope of parenting. What is good for our children is that they may know, believe, obey, enjoy, and proclaim God. So the primary goal of parenting is the salvation of our children. Um, Four, a biblical target of parenting. In parenting, our target is the hearts of our children. And then number five, a biblical means of parenting is faithfulness. Class two, prophets, priests, kings, and oxen. Remember we talked that children are oxen. They make a and they make a mess like oxen, but but um, Psalm fourteen verse four. But abundant crops come by way of oxen. So what would we rather have, right? A clean manger or abundant crops? Both would be nice. Both would be nice, but we'll take abundant crops. So how do we hinder and help our kids toward Jesus? Is what we looked at last week. 
how do we hinder and help our kids toward Jesus? We are, um, we are, are helpless apart from God. What our children need most, we cannot give them. But we can help them or we can hinder them toward Christ. So ways that we hinder. There were three ways we looked at. We hinder our children when we ourselves do not go to Jesus. Two, we hinder our children when we fail to live in integrity. Three, we hinder our children when we fail to foster Christ-centered conversation in the home. And then how we help. And this was the prophets, priests, and kings. The three offices that Christ holds are he is the ultimate prophet, he is the ultimate priest, he is the ultimate king. And we as Christians in Christ are also like little prophets, little priests, little kings. Little prophets in the sense that we are mouthpieces of God. Uh, little, little priests in, in that we go to Christ on behalf of others. We, we're, we're prayerful. Uh, and little kings in that we're all given responsibility and things to rule over. And this is true in the home. So as parents, you are prophets, which means that we are to declare truth to our children. And we just settled on these three and said, man, if you do these three, you're good. Okay, there's so much to parenting, get very overwhelming. I mean, I've read so many books and, and you finish a book and you, you know, and I've revamped everything we do in our home and I'm sure it's driven my life crazy. And, and you don't, you don't need to do that. You really don't need to do that. So we just try to simplify it and say, hey, here's here's three things. You're prophets, so declare truth to your children. You are priests, so pray for your children. And you are kings, so demonstrate, so so rule and, and lead your children well as examples. Demonstrate the power of the gospel to your children. So if we would pray, this class would be a success, I think, if we would leave and we would pray more for our children, we would, we would declare more truth to our children, and we would uh, demonstrate more uh, the power of the gospel to our children. If we grow in those, in those areas... Praise God. So now we'll come to class three tonight. So uh, let's, uh, with your children visualized in your mind's eye, let's, let's pray tonight. Our Father in heaven, help us to understand your truth. Father, equip us to defend your truth, to apply your truth, make us pillars of truth. God, would you help us and help those in our care to see your infinite value and loosen our grip on everything temporary, God. Make knowledge of you and the consequent delighting and service and obedience our chief desire. And Father, may this not be our ambition only, but our reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So follow along in your outline tonight. Let me give an introduction. Some of you, the title of tonight's class, When You Sin, and You Will, a lot. Some of you, I, I think, some of you found encouragement in the title of this class. I suspect that there are a number of parents in our church who have discovered how sinful they are through parenting. God brings us into close relationships with people, and it is in those close relationships where um, 
sin is brought to the surface and sin is unearthed, which is why right, we, we, we can have a tendency to keep people at arm's length because we, we, know, we know the kinds of things that, that might come to the surface or, or become exposed. So you get married. Those of you who are married, you get married and uh, you're, you, you realize that, that you're far more sinful than you realize you were, most of you. I, I may be just speaking for myself. You realize how, how, selfish, how selfish you were now that you really, that selflessness is really demanded of you. You realize how selfish you are. And, and children, right, children are, uh, are by nature needy and uh, totally, totally dependent on us. And when someone is totally dependent on us and, and their well-being is entrusted to us, our our sins are going to are going to come to the surface. It's going to be, and it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. Um, if you are like me, you have you have you have thought thoughts, and you have felt emotions. You have said words, and you have behaved in ways that you you did not expect as as parents. And so, as a pastor, my observation. And this is why, you know, I'm just dedicating a class to dealing with sin in the home, because my observation as a pastor is that is that parents are tempted, tempted to either downplay or manage or conceal these sins and and not deal with them to downplay them. It's really not that bad. This is normal. Compare ourselves to we can always find parents who are worse than us Um, so we can downplay our sin or just sort of manage it not really deal with it, not really grow in it, not really mortify the sin, but just sort of just sort of manage it and, and keep it at a manageable level and keep it from whatever we define as totally out of out of control or can or, or conceal it all altogether, conceal it from ourselves, conceal it from God, conceal it from other people. And this isn't good. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. This means you in parenting's case your kids aren't gonna prosper. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So according to Proverbs 28, no concealment. And when it comes to sin, we're applying it to parenting, but this is sin. When it comes to sin, how do we deal with sin? According to Proverbs 28, you do not conceal it. You do not hide sin. Hidden sin and concealed sin does not some of you, you've tried this. I've tried this. It does not just go away and it does not shrink. Okay, it gets worse. Okay, James talks about this. Sin starts small, just this little bitty desire. And when it's full blown, it gives birth to death. So sin is like a snowball, right? Starting at the top of the mountain and rolling down. If it's not dealt with, it just gets bigger and it just it picks up speed. Rather, what do we do with sin according to Proverbs 28? Uh, confession and forsaking. Confession, which is the opposite of concealing. Confession and forsaking. And this, is not a, this isn't a popular or, an, or a, a comfortable way of dealing with sin today. Sin is sort of a private matter. This is the churches I grew up in. Sin was a very private matter. 
and sin is between me and me. <laughs> Maybe it's not even between, it's private from God, even. <laughs> this is just, this is my thing. And sin is not talked about in community. Sin is not talked about in fellowship. Sin is not, I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with somebody and it just, it, it finally came out? Or whatever it was. It finally came out. And, and, and you, may, hopefully your jaw didn't literally hit the ground, but inside you thought to yourself, I never would have, maybe even said that to them, I never would have guessed, I never would have believed that that was something that, that you struggle with because we keep sin as a private matter. Private for a lot of reasons, specifically sin when it comes to parenting. I mean, one is probably obvious. It is the, the pain of embarrassment and shame. I mean, we want to conceal sin because our sin is embarrassing. And, and if we're thinking right, there's probably shame that is associated with our sin. And shame is that feeling of not just I know of my sin, but it, it's that feeling that you get when people are watching you, when somebody sees you or you think that somebody sees you. That's when you feel shame and it's overwhelming. And so if I come out with this or I'm open about this struggle, then I'm going to feel the pain of embarrassment and shame. Um, Sin in the home is also kept private because I think many of us feel alone. I felt like this for a long time. We feel alone because our family does not match the prevailing caricature of the Christian family. You know what I mean by that? The prevailing caricature of the Christian family is basically a sinless family. There's no problems. Our children are wonderful. Um, We're wonderful. There is no sin. Everything's under control. You see us in church and everybody's happy and everybody's smiling. And, you know, we address our children. Just we're soft spoken and we're just our countenance is just right. And then we get in our car. OK, then we get in the and we get in, in the in the comforts of our own home. And we find out that a lot of our motivation for being as good as we're being actually is we're going to get there but actually isn't so much pleasing God as it is pleasing people. And so we're different in the eyes of people than we are when, when people are not, are not watching us. And so there's this, there's this feeling that can happen in the church that, that these issues that I'm struggling with in my family and, and these sins that I'm struggling with with my children, these these thoughts that I'm thinking, these emotions that I'm feeling, these words that I'm saying, these ways that I'm behaving. If we can look out and see sort of a caricature of the Christian family that makes us feel very alone because we look out and, and, and we think that everybody else has it all together and everybody's fine and no one else is struggling. And, and, and the reality is that somebody is struggling the way you are struggling. And the reality is that all of us are sinners and that all of us are going to sin in our families and we're going to sin against our kids and we need to have a community and we need to have a fellowship that sort of breaks the ice with that. That breaks the ice and say, hey, listen, there aren't, there aren't perfect parents here and we're, we're, we're all messed up in a sense and we're all needing the grace of God. We're all needing the help of the Holy Spirit and we're all needing guidance in his word and we're all needing other brothers and sisters who can help us and draw alongside us and in our families. And all that is the opposite of concealing. 
And so one of the reasons that I named the classes is just to kind of is to kind of break the ice so that this is this this tendency or this temptation to conceal uh, would hopefully be be done away with. And as well, if you are the kind of person I sort of alluded to this, if, if we are performance driven or if we are a people pleaser, we're even more likely to suffer and struggle in silence, which is just a lot of people today. Right, if you are performance driven, okay, it's all about success, then you are likely to keep quiet about the struggles in your home because if people know about the struggles in your home, you're not going to feel successful and you're not going to feel like you've performed adequately. If you're a people pleaser, and so many of us are people pleasers, um, it seems like everybody's a people pleaser in some sense, um, at least one person, right? And if we're people pleasers, then we're also going to suffer and struggle in silence because we don't want our struggles and our sins and our home to be out on the table because then the people we want to please may be displeased with us, right? I mean, that's the, that's the vicious cycle. So what do we do? Well, we can be tempted to either downplay or 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 manage or conceal our sin we don't want that so as an encouragement uh, i pray that that this will lead to sins being mortified so let us acknowledge we need to acknowledge that remaining sin from minute to massive will not be escaped this side of heaven and your parenting will not be an exception i guess that's just what i want to I just want to get that out there. I want to, I want to get rid of any expectations that, that you might have. Okay, so I, I hope you'd be encouraged to hear that, that there is remaining sin. And we're not going to get into that, but the power of sin has been defeated. Okay, the, 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 the consequence of sin has been removed from us. But there is still remaining sin. And you can all say amen to that. I mean, you know, there's clearly remaining sin. Okay, so there will be remaining sin from minute to massive and it will not be escaped this side of heaven and your parenting will not be an exception. So you are not in some sort of hopeless category of parent when you see yourself as a sinful parent. And when you do sin, God has made provision for you in Christ and God has made provision for your children working for their good. Unfortunately, sometimes the good that God does for our kids is in spite of us. Which is super hard. But it is true. Sometimes God's good for our kids is work that he's doing in spite of us because we're being more of a hindrance than than a help. But God loves our children God has a special place in his heart for the children of believers. How blessed they are that they have a mommy or a daddy or a mommy and a daddy that love Jesus. So there is immense grace. Now, all that said, I want to also make it clear that while I hope that there will be an encouragement in those numbers, right? Okay, we're all sinful parents, okay? I want there to be an encouragement, but I don't want that to be a comfort. There's a difference. Uh, You should be encouraged to know that this is, to some degree, every parent's battle, but that should not be a comfort. Take that as encouragement that, that there is grace and there is help available to you, but it should not be a comfort where we where we say to ourselves, well, you know. All parents struggle. So if it's comfort, if if what I'm saying is comforting you, then you might need to back off 
a bit or forget what I'm saying. But I want it to be an encouragement to you because the reality is that parents, we must not sin against our children. We must not sin against our children. And we have to have the bar raised very, very high in our relationship with our kids. So, number one. Let's start with uh, sin in the home. Let me give a an overview here. Uh, sin in Christian homes is a reality. Both parents are going to sin, children are going to sin. And when children sin, they set out on their own way, away from God and away from godly parents. Ephesians 6 teaches us this disobedience to mom and dad is defiance of God and His ways, and it will not go well for a child. You, you, you have your kids memorize Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Honor your mother and father that it may go well with you. Honor the Lord. Okay, honor the Lord. Obey the Lord and it will go well with you. This path is called the way of the wicked and it is a place of, just to name a few adjectives, destruction, pain, suffering, tears, folly, shame, guilt, sadness, sorrow, frustration, estrangement, and curse. No one wants that for their kids. No one wants that for their kids. But that is the way of the wicked and that is the way of rebellion and that is the way of sin. That's what our kids are caught in when they're in sin. Proverbs five twelve through 14. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Why is he at the brink of utter ruin? Because he did not listen to the voice of his teachers. He did not incline his ear to instruction. He hated discipline and his heart despised reproof. Our hope when children go their own way is that they would turn. Our hope is that they would turn and that they would, they would come back to honoring God and obeying their parents. And this is, of course, called repentance. A child repents when a child changes directions or paths, which is what repentance means, to turn. God maps out how all of us are to do this. We admit our sin, which is confession. We seek forgiveness. Expressing our desire to have our sin not held against us and relationship restored. We set our hearts to obey. Restoration occurs when the child is back on God's path and reconciled to him and parents. Back to a place of joy and sweetness and peace and laughter, fun, smiles, affection, a clear conscience, fellowship and blessing. So I'd like to, I'm just going to do a graphical representation of what is going on in the home. And we use this in our home. And um, I'll just I'll draw this on a piece of paper sometimes with my with my boys and say, this is this is what you're doing right now. And this is this is this is where you are. According to Scripture, this is what is happening when there is is sin in the home. And so we want to understand this so that so that we know what to do, so that we know what to do about it. So here's our here's our child. Here's our home, let's say. So they're, they're in our home. And, and when, they're, when they're here, right, and this is obedience, 
They're obeying. They're, they're honoring God. This is a, a wonderful, a wonderful place to be, right? I mean, in this place is, uh, you know, the Bible speaks of this when you're honoring the Lord. It's a place of blessing, um, right? A place of joy. Um, you know, we use words like smiles or, you know, or tickles or, or laughter. Okay, this is a place of delight. Oh, what else do I have written down there? Uh, sweetness and, and peace. Fun. You guys like fun? Um, affection. I mean, this is just, this is wonderful. A clear conscience. By the way, this is where we are, right? When we're in obedience to the Lord. Um, fellowship. Just add that. Okay, so just visibly, when a child sins, you know, what does a, what does a child do? Okay, I mean, this is, this is what a child does when they sin, when they disobey. And Ephesians chapter 6 tells us this is not going to go well for a child. A child disobeys his mom and dad. He is dishonoring God. That's the bigger issue. And it is not going to go well. You know as adults, if you choose not to honor God in your life, it does not, it does not go well for you. So what kind of things are, are out, out here when we're going our own way and going away from God. And as children, we're going away from our parents. We talk to our kids about this. This is a, this is a sad place. I don't want you sad, son. This is sad and, and sorrow. Okay, there's tears here. Not happy tears. There's, uh, there's pain. There's frustration. Not to say some of these things don't exist over here, but, but these are direct results of sin, which is, is different than just providential. This is directly linked to, to sin in a, in a child's life. Um, what else do I write down? Uh, frustration. <laughs> I just wrote that down. <laughs> um, estrangement, which is like the opposite of fellowship. Right? The opposite of... Uh, of two being reconciled, right? There's estrangement. It puts a strain on the relationship between between kids and their uh, and their parents. Um, destruction. You know, this is called the way of destruction in Proverbs. Okay. There's there's guilt over here. There's shame over here. Okay. Is there anything else I want to add? No. I mean, that's curse. I mean, the opposite of blessing. Okay, so that when there's sin in the home, you know, whether when we're talking about children right now, when there's sin in the home, this is what your your child is literally doing. They're they're leaving this place where there's blessing and joy and smiles and laughter and delight, peace, fun, sweetness, affection, clear conscience, fellowship. And we talk about this, you know, with them and say all these things, and they'll even name things. And then they're in a place, and they know this is true because they've experienced it so many times where it's sad. Right? I mean, you're, you're crying. You have te- your tears. You know, what do you, what does it feel like in your heart? You know, and they're starting to learn what, what guilt is and what, and, and, and what shame is and, and, 
and, and, and, and things aren't right between you and daddy and things aren't right between between you and mommy right now. We can't we say this. We can't enjoy each other right now the way I want us to enjoy each other. And we can't enjoy each other because you're you're dishonoring God and you're disobeying your, your mom and dad. So we're, we're telling our kids here that there's there's two ways for you to live. And this is one way. And, and this, of course, is the other way. And you could call this, you know, repentance. Okay? And and obey. So our, our children are going to go out here all the time. <laughs> They're going to go out here all the time. But the, 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 what we're talking about tonight is what do I what do I do with them right here? Or what do I do with them right here? How do I affect them? How do I affect them? How do I influence them? How do I, the term we use is rescue them. You know, how do we rescue them and, and get them back to, to this, this place? Because this is, this is where we want them to be. You see, this is very different than, you know, obey me because I'm head of the house or obey me because who are you to question me, little kid? Or, or, um, Obey me because how, how embarrassing you, you are to me right now. Or obey me because I've got, I've got, a, I've got plans and I've got things to do and you're messing them up. You, you see, I mean, this is, that has nothing to do with what we're, what we're doing over here when our kids are in sin. When our kids are in sin, our hearts are broken, right? Because they're leaving this place and we can see them going their own way and going astray. And we, we, want, them, we want them back. So we want them to repent. We want them to turn. And we want them to obey. Because I read in that paragraph, repentance, which includes uh, confession, um, ask forgiveness. You know, we have our kids, you know, confess their sin. What did you do? And then we, we have them ask for forgiveness. And help your kids understand what that means. You know, what are, they, what are they saying when they ask for forgiveness? And the way we word it is, son, when you're asking forgiveness, this is what you're saying. You're saying, uh, Daddy, I want, I want us to be buddies again. Yeah, I want our relationship restored. I want, I want to be back here. I want to have joy and, and delight and fun and tickles and laughter and smiles. I, I want those things. And so, Daddy, I know I've just done something. I don't want you to hold that against me. And I don't want you to think about it anymore. And I want you to forget it. So what do, what do they say? Will you please forgive me? That's what a child is asking to do. And then we set our hearts to obey. And then this, and then restoration occurs. Restoration occurs when they're when they're when they're back, right? When they're back, they, they may only be back for a few minutes, <laughs> right? They may only be back for a few minutes, but they're but they're back, and we we love that, and we we enjoy that. And so, you know, you, you want your you want your children to understand this is this is how you were created to live, to live a life of obedience, and when you disobey, to repent. And this is how God made you to love him, to honor him and worship him. When you're living like this, this is where it's leading. And, and this is the way Satan wants you to live. And this is not what you were made for. OK, we we say to our I say to my boys, I say, what's I'll say, like, what's a hammer for? And they'll say hammering nails. What's a what's a garbage disposal for, uh, you know, chopping up vegetables in the in the sink? OK, what's uh, what are the sprinkle? You know, we go to this down the list. What are all these things for? And then we say, what are you for? Okay, what are you for? Worship. You're for worship. You're for honoring God. You're for you're for obeying. 
Okay, you're going to mess up when you do repent and get get back to obedience and get back to this place where you're right with mommy and daddy and you're you're right with God. Um, this behavior, we might say, this behavior that 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 you've done here, it, it's loving you, right? We ask some of the questions first, but we help them understand that you're you're loving you're you're having a hard time right now. You're you're loving you more than you're loving God. Okay, you're doing what you want. You, and kids will even say, right, I want, I want, I want, I want. They don't even know how to hide it yet. It's great. We're like, I know that's what you want, but what does God want? So I'm having to press that so many times with my kids. Um, and going that way is not going to give God what he deserves, and it won't get you what you want, right? And that's okay to say. It's not going to get God what he deserves, and it's not going to get you what you ultimately want, because this is what you ultimately want. Isn't it, son? Isn't it, daughter? Okay, so there are there are two ways to live. So and then the only other thing that I would that we kind of add to this, and this is this is just similar to something Ted Tripp does in his book. But then the thing the thing that we add that we'll kind of carry out through this class is, is we would also say that there there are these ingredients to a happy home. There are these ingredients down here to to a, a, a happy home, to to these things, okay? Things that we as parents can can take some responsibility for. Not ensure all of these, but take some responsibility for. And j- just a, a few, like, um, and a lot of this is sort of what we talked about last week, but just the, the gospel, okay? This is a, a necessary ingredient for a happy home, that the gospel is being taught and, and modeled. Um, I really believe there needs to be there needs to be peace in the home and there needs to be order in the home. There, there needs to be order in the home. I mean, we have a sign that says you call it chaos. We call it family. There is going to be chaos, of course, in your home. But there also needs to be peace and there needs to be order. Remember, you are there to you are there to lead and, and children thrive. Some of you know, the children thrive off routines and, and and some rules and order or a schedule. And, and these things are important. And I would say are helpful ingredients to a, a happy home. Uh, worship. Okay, that we're worshiping together as a family. Thanking God, reading His Word, singing. Uh, and these plans are, are planned times and, and unplanned times. Uh, communication. Again, we looked at that last week. Communication is a, is a necessary ingredient to uh, a happy home. Am I, um, you know, am I listening to, to my kids? Yeah, that's going to be a, that's going to be that's going to be a good foundation for a happy home. Is there is there communication where we can talk and and we can share things and 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 I'm going to be listened to? Am I going to be interested in what my kids' interests are, not necessarily just what mine are? Uh, instruction, instruction, and and training. Is there instruction and training and discipleship that imparting? truth and helping them have a, a biblical worldview joy is just is just huge okay is there joy in the home so I, I would encourage you just come up with your own list it might be these things these may be enough you may not like some of those you may not have other ones but go to god's word look at your family and say okay what are the what are these foundations what are these you know quote ingredients for for a, a happy home because you're going to have some responsibility over this as mom and dad and it's part of kind of how you evaluate your family and say how are we how are we doing with these things? You know, are we setting our kids up? You know, are we are we creating a place as far as we can where where these things exist? So, you know, figure out what that what that list is and and joy. Just want want to stress joy, joy, joy. Uh, 
you you want a happy home, right? You want a home that is that is full of joy, that is that is full of laughter. I would encourage you to say yes as as much as you possibly possibly can. We'd started doing that about six months ago, and there have been many things we've said yes to that we would not have said yes to before. Can I climb on the roof? You know, things like this. But try to say yes as much as possible. Try, try not to say no. There are times you just, you have to say, you have to say no, of course. But try to say yes as much as you possibly can. And when you say no to your children, Douglas Wilson has been real helpful this last year with me. When you say no to your children, help them understand that, you're, when you're, that your no is a yes. Your no is a yes. No, you cannot touch that hot stove because I am saying yes to your personal safety. No, you cannot have a candy bar at 8.30 at night because I am saying yes to a good day at school tomorrow. And this is God, right? God, he loves us. He loves his children. And in every one of God's no, there is a yes. Look at God's instructions. Look at God's commands. Look at God's rules. Are any of them capricious? No, it is all for our good. So these are good, good things. So say yes as much as possible. It makes for a joyful home. It's actually kind of fun because you'll catch yourself about to say no. And you'll be like, wait, I don't have a good reason to say no. That's kind of me. I just was in the mode of saying no, no. No, no, no. I know you're going to say no. And it's been really fun to just start saying yes. And, and, and it's been good for me because I've had to, I've had to, I, I put things down so often. And that's good because putting things down is hard for me. I'm task oriented. And so I want to see something through to the finish. And so saying yes is maybe, say, uh, maybe I say no because I need to finish this, you know, this thing that I'm doing or I need to finish, you know, weeding this garden or I need to finish uh, sending this email or whatever. But then I think, wait a minute, it's not really a good reason. It's not really a good reason. I can do this later. I can do this another time. So yes. And I found that has given birth to some of the funnest times with our kids. So whatever those ingredients might be, might be for you. Okay, let's move on to number two. Number two. So, so now what? What to do when your kids sin? And this is, this is not going to be an outline. Well, you can see that. That's probably not even the best heading for this. What to do when your kids sin? Because I'm not going to give an outline and I'm not going to give a procedure for correction or a procedure for discipline or anything like that. Um, Ted Tripp. Shepherding a child's heart, he's pretty helpful with that. Though, though, again, I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. Don't make a, a model of parenting inspired or magic. Okay, so you read something, okay, this is how it should be done, and you can think, oh, this is going to be magic. A plus B, and it'll come across like that in the book, and you want to strangle the author, because... A plus B will equal C. And you're like, I, I did A and I did B. Where's my, where's my C? Because <laughs> I've followed this exactly the way it, it told me to. It's not magic. These models aren't. And they're also not inspired. They're not inspired. I read some of these things in some of these books, and I think I thought they were inspired. Because <laughs> I thought this is exactly the procedure for what have you. It's not. It's not. So 
Take them with a grain of salt. But here's just some uh, biblical and general principles. Again, um, this that I, in my observation, I think might be helpful. And these, again, are keeping in step with our role as parents as last week with, to pray, to teach, and to demonstrate the, the power of the gospel. So just six of them. Number one, distinguish between, okay, when, what did you, you do when your kids sin? Well, first of all, distinguish between personal offense and sin. Make sure you get good at making that distinction. So your child does something, and, and, and it's sin, and you turn red, and you're ready, and you've got a plan. Well, hold on. Make sure you're making the distinction between what is just a personal offense and what is actually sin. Okay, they, they spilled milk on the table, you know, because they're just, they're, their body's awkward, and they don't, they don't move really well. And it's, not, it's not a sin. Did you tell them to stop goofing around at the table and they kept goofing around and they spilled them out? Well, then that's a sin. Um, I have a, I've shared this with some of you before. I, don't, I am not a fan of dirt. I don't like being dirty. And it's been really hard for me to get used to my kids being dirty because my boys love being dirty. I remember driving home one day and it had just poured rain and we had this field next to our house and it was solid mud. And I literally looked out and it freaked me out because the mud looked like it was just moving. And the mud was moving because my boys were naked, laying down, face down, in the mud, completely covered. And they walked up to me with just eyeballs. It's like Predator, if you've seen that scene in Predator. And I couldn't see anything, but their eyes just covered in head to toe. And when my boys kind of do things like that, I, in, inside, it is really, I start to freak out. I start to freak out. I start to try and keep them away from the house. And I'm afraid where they're going to walk because I don't want to have to clean it up. And I don't want mud in the house. And it's really silly. Are they sinning against me? No. It's just a personal offense. It's a personal offense. So make that, make that uh, distinction. Uh, an example of this. Difference between personal offense and sin. We may grow, I, I've seen this, I've experienced this, we may grow especially offended when our children misbehave in public. And this can be because we have an approval idol. We want to be seen a certain way by certain people. So when our kids blow it, we may, this is how it works. So our kids blow it and then, and they blow it in front of people. And when they blow it, it makes us look like bad parents, which makes us upset, more upset than we would normally be because we have an approval idol. I want the approval of these people, uh, around me i mean the, the the dirty dark secret underneath that that i've seen in my own heart is that at times i will want to appear to be a godly parent more than i will want to be a godly parent you know i want to be uh, admired more than i want to be admirable right it's that it's that it's that feeling that we like when others see us and esteem us and think highly of us, most of us dig that. We like that. And so we can grow. Our, our kid does something in private and we deal with it one way, but then they do it in public and we do it. We, we handle it totally differently, at least internally. Right. Again, we, we were after the approval idol. So we hold it together until we get in the car or until we get home and we find that. Hours later, we're still just kind of ticked and, and upset and, and bitter or, or wiped out. Well, that was probably, even though there may have been some sin involved, it's probably more, it's probably more personal offense than it is sin. So we want to make that distinction. And number two, I think this is huge, is pity your children. I think this is the, the, nat- this is the um, uh, emotion that 
when we properly understand what's going on with our kids, if you really understand what's happening with your children when, when they sin, you're going to feel pity. Pity is a feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of others. That's what pity is. And that is exactly what a parent should feel when their child is in sin. Because again, it's not about what they're doing against me. It's not about their offense to me. It's not about how they've broken my rules primarily. It's not about how they've screwed up my night. It's not about how they've interfered with my life. It's, it's not about the personal offense. It's this child okay, is going the path of destruction right now. They are running away from God. They are disobeying God. They have gone astray. And that's a terrible place. That's a terrible place for our kids to be. So the proper emotion when we, for us to have, and we want to cultivate, when we come to our children when, when they're in sin, and this is so helpful for me because I, I, will, I will, am tempted when my children are extremely rebellious, I am tempted to anger. I'm tempted to, to anger, to get upset, to, to use my tone, to use my countenance, to use my words, to, to intimidate, to try to get my children to behave the way I want them to behave. I can't feel that, though, if, I, if I'm pitying them. Right? I mean, you can't pity someone and be angry at them at the same time. So pity our children. I think that's the proper emotion. When our children are in sin, they are offending a holy God, the wages of which is death. That's the seriousness. I mean, there's going to be a day when our kids are going to sin and they won't be in our home. And here we have this opportunity, right, to help train them and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what is, how do we treat them when they sin? So pity and rescue, not offense and anger. Pity and rescue, not offense and anger. Number three, remember your role. Remember your role as parents. Which we looked at last week. Okay, and our role is not, but we'll tend to want to do this, to, con- to convict our children. Good luck. Or to make our children repent. You cannot... Make your children repent. That is a heart issue. You cannot convict your children. You cannot make them feel guilt in regards to their sin. You cannot be Jesus to your kids. So do not overestimate is what I would say is don't overestimate your abilities. And don't become like a functional Holy Spirit to your children. There are things that only the Holy Spirit can do. And when our kids are in sin and their hard hearts need to be cracked, so they will repent. It's only a work that the Holy Spirit can do. You can be, remember, we go back to last week. What, is our, what are our means? What is our job? To be faithful. You can be faithful and obey God, but you cannot ensure an outcome in your kids. You cannot control what Christ does with your kids or what your kids do with Christ. You have absolutely zero control over that. You can simply help or hinder them. We want to help them, but we cannot convict them. We cannot be their conscience. We'll resort to all sorts of things if our goal is to make them repent. We will emotionally manipulate them. Um, We will bring uh, um, uh, uh, inappropriate 
consequences, you know, punishments that don't fit the crime. We will uh, become discouraged easily if our goal is to make them repent. If our goal is for them to not sin anymore today. If that is your goal, and, and oftentimes it is, you are going to be very, very discouraged. And you will despair. But you may need to go back and and readjust what your goals are. I need to be faithful, but I need to remember my role. And that's it. I am not Jesus to this child and I'm not their Holy Spirit. Number four, I would say when you're when your kids are in sin, uh, I know some would disagree with this. I, I may have even disagreed with a few years ago. Do not withhold love and affection. So when your kids are in sin, whether it's minute or massive, Hopefully some of you know what that means. We got the whole gamut. Sometimes it's minute, it's small. Sometimes it's just just massive, like, oh my goodness. Like strong-willed child, strong-willed beast. Like I cannot, I could not imagine a child could do this. Wow. Do not, it would be my encouragement, don't, when, when that's happening, do not withhold love and affection. I'm saying don't withhold love when, when our children are, are in sin. Don't be, um, or to say that negatively, don't be uh, cold or calculated. Don't be cold or calculated. I think that easily creeps in as sort of a tactic. As sort of a tactic. Well, I want you to, f- I want you to feel. I want you to feel the consequences here. And your, your child's going to feel consequences. There's something spiritually that's going on within them. Um, but it could be this tendency to, because we feel, maybe because we're so offended or upset, we could be tempted to be sort of just cold or indifferent to them. Um, or we can do that as a tactic to try to bring them to repentance, which is really interesting, right? Because what, what, what is it about God's character that leads us to repentance? You remember what it says? It says kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. When we're when we're throwing our fits, when we're going just bananas, and 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 yet God is kind, and loving and gracious, that has a way of softening our hearts, doesn't it? And it causes us to turn and to repent. That is certainly something in our God worth worth emulating. So, I think I wrote it down there. So when our kids are in trouble, I would say. Because there is something here. When our kids are in trouble, they need to know you have my love, my concern, my affection, my care, my provision, my hope. But you do not have my approval, my joy, and my delight. That's the difference. That's the difference. But what can happen is all that can just go away. You are in sin. So you don't have my love. You don't have my provision. You don't have my, well, see what's going to happen. I'm just going to wait. Now, when you come back, then, you know, everything will be fine. But until you make your own punch, you know, this is it's on you. Now you're going to feel the consequences of what you're doing. And I, and I would just say that in, in, in how you relate to them and, and how you communicate to them, everything from your tone to your countenance to your body language, all this nonverbal communication. OK, pay attention to that. You want them to know that that they have your love, concern, affection, care, provision, hope. But of course, your approval. No. You don't have my approval right now. You're in sin. And you, you don't have my joy. We're not enjoying each other. I'm not delighting in you right now. Of course, those things aren't there. But, but son or daughter, I love you. And I care for you. And I'm concerned for you. And um, 
you know, this can look like um, when, you're, when your child's in sin. Uh, it's just been an experience in our home. It can look like rubbing their back when they're in sin. And they're calling you names, maybe. Rubbing their back. Or, or, or praying with them or for them out, out, out loud, um, speaking kindly, even in the, the, the midst of, of sin. You want to I think we want to teach our children that that repentance is not a way of earning favor, but of dealing with sin. So if when they sin, I hold out all this stuff, then I'm teaching them that. okay, so you repent so that you you get, you know, rather than no, you've got my love, you've got my affection. This is more true for us as Christians, right? In the gospel, some of us need to takes us years to even get this. No, you haven't lost God's love. I know you've sinned. You haven't lost his love. You haven't lost his affection. You haven't lost his concern for you. He's not going to stop providing for you. He's not pushing you down under his thumbs. This is not how God treats you. But do you have his approval? Absolutely not. Is God delighting in you in your sin? No, absolutely not. But we want to walk that line. We want to walk that line. Proverbs fifteen twenty: A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Number five, pray for them. I don't need to belabor that point. We, we looked at that a lot last week. Um, but pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. When your children are in sin, pray for them. You're not necessarily doing it out loud, but sometimes you are. But at least in your heart, just praying for them. God, turn their heart, soften their heart. And then number six, forgive them. And when, when there's repentance, uh, well, you know, there's not repentance. We won't get into that. But because uh, there's a kind of forgiveness that can happen, just your, your disposition towards your children. Um, but forgive them and make sure you really forgive them. To forgive means to put away. That's what the word means. So when we forgive, we commit that we will not hold the sin against our children. We won't bring it up. Assume it will... What we try to do is assume it will never happen again. That's really hard to do sometimes. Like, well, maybe this is it. But really try to... Every time, just assume this will never happen again. And, and I think that's what it means to give, give our children a clean slate. And when it happens again tomorrow, right? It's, it's, it, it is, it is uh, so discouraging... They're little words, but it's so discouraging when our child picks up from us things like, you're doing this again? You just did this last night. You don't want to go down this path again. Just be careful. Just be careful that we don't unnecessarily discourage them and and at least sound like we are keeping a record of wrongs. I mean, maybe we're not. But maybe we are. But it can certainly sound like we're keeping a record of wrongs if we keep it up. So a clean, clean slate. Oh, sorry. Finally, number seven. Uh, obviously, take their sin seriously. Take their sin seriously and remind them of God's provision for them in Christ. So, you know, is that that, that balance of law and grace. Take their sin seriously, but also remind them of God's provision in Jesus Christ. Which is exactly what 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So John's like, don't you sin. I'm writing this whole letter so that you would not sin. But, he says, right, if anyone does sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we want to make our kids toe the line, but we also want to remind them every time there is grace, there is grace, there is grace unending. Okay, number three. Number three. Uh, when, when parents ways that, sorry, ways parents sin. And three, three categories here. And uh, I guess I, I ask you to I'll ask you to shut some shout some out if you're comfortable with that. I'll just assume you're shouting out someone else's sin. Um, sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of commission. So things we do that we should not do. Sins of omission, uh, things that we do not do that we should do, and both ways that we can sin against our kids. So, you know, let's start with sins of Commission. What what are some what are some ways that parents sin against their kids? Just shout shout a few out. Okay, anger. Okay, tempting. Like Santa Claus, right? <laughs> Liars. <laughs> what else? What'd you say? Okay, laziness, inconsistency. Okay. I wrote a few. Uh, abusing children, abusing children. That's certainly a way that parents sin against their kids physically, emotionally, abusing their children, uh, mocking children, mocking children. Uh, or, or a more playful or a more palatable word is teasing, but sometimes teasing can be, you know, mocking, uh, mocking our children, uh, ignoring our children, uh, using our children. Uh, lying to children, we got that covered, like about Santa Claus and Easter Bunny, things like that. Um, worshiping our children. What about spoiling our children? Maybe some of you don't think that's sin. Criticizing our children. Harsh tone and words. What about needing our children? I wrote that down. We shouldn't need you know, our, our, our children shouldn't feel like they have to fulfill some need in us. It's kind of borderline using our children. Our kids need us, and we're, we're here for them. They're not here to meet our, our needs. Or maybe setting a poor example. I also put under sins of commission what I would call um, sins of reaction. And that, that, is, that is the almost guaranteed... Every time your child sins against you, it is going to come along with a temptation for you to sin back. And that's true when anybody sins against you. When someone sins against you, all right, this is why the Bible says, I think in Galatians 6, we need to be careful. We need to be careful here because you just may get dragged into sin yourself when you're going to confront someone. And the reason is, is that when you're sinned against, it comes along with a temptation to return evil with evil and not to return evil with good. 
And so that's often a setup. We know we've got to be watchful when our kids are in sin. We're going to be tempted to react sinfully. Uh, Sins of omission. And uh, we could look back at last week where we talked about the things that we should do. So sins of omission would be when we're not doing those. uh, Or maybe when we're not correcting our children, when we're not disciplining them, not instructing them, not restraining them. And by restraining, I mean like 1 Samuel 3.13. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever. This is to uh, Eli. Uh, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. And you look in the first few chapters of First uh, Samuel, right? And Eli had two sons, uh, Hophni and uh, Phinehas. And, and both of them were just outrageously dishonoring God and dad did nothing about it. Dad didn't confront him. He didn't restrain them is what it's talking about. He didn't he wasn't watchful over them. He didn't keep them from sin. And it was a sin. His whole family, his whole household got judged because of that. Proverbs twenty nine, fifteen. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So this is what happens ultimately if a child is left to themselves. Ultimately if a child is left to themselves, this is where they this is where they are eternally. Okay, so and this happens through sins of omission like neglecting what Proverbs 29 calls the rod and reproof. And then number three, number three, uh, Rob, you you said um, uh, inconsistency, and it made me think of this, uh, but ways that we uh, provoke our kids, so sins of provocation. There's also ways that we sin against our kids where maybe not committing sin against them, maybe not, you know, not doing things that we should be doing, but we're provoking them provoking them to sin. Remember how seriously Jesus talks about that in Matthew 18.6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Don't cause one of these little children to stumble, he says. Or Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke. This is provocative behavior from parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Rather, the opposite of provoking our children to sin would be Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and, and good deeds. We should be thinking, how can we spur our children on to good, not to evil? This is a helpful list. Lou Priolo has a book called The Heart of Anger. And he lists 25 ways that we provoke our children, specifically ways that we we set our children up to be upset, to be angry. And I'll just read. I'll read through them, starting with number one. Lack of marital harmony provokes our children to anger. Establishing and maintaining a child-centered home versus a God-centered home. Modeling sinful anger habitually disciplining in anger, scolding, being inconsistent with discipline, having double standards, being legalistic, not admitting you're wrong and not asking for forgiveness, constantly finding fault, parents reversing God-given roles, not listening to your child's opinion or taking his or her side of the story seriously, comparing them to others, not making time just to talk, not praising or encouraging your child, failing to keep your promises, chastening in front of others, 
Not allowing enough freedom. Allowing too much freedom. Mocking your child. Abusing them physically. Ridiculing or name-calling. Unrealistic expectations. Practicing favoritism and child training with worldly methodologies inconsistent with God's Word. So my guess is when we're going through that list, there are some that you, you probably feel like you've nailed, and then there's others that were like a, a, an alert went off because you realize that you do struggle in these ways. And when we do that, you, you may be setting your children up to sin. It's very similar to you know, what we talk about down here. You know, what is my responsibility as a faithful parent? What am I trying to ensure? How am I seeking not to provoke them? I don't want to do anything where I become a, a stumbling block a stumbling block to them. There's some references there. Number four. Number four. Just two more here. Number four. What to do when you sin. This is real simple. Not simple, it's not simple to do, but simple to understand. So when we do sin, sins of commission, sins of omission, uh, sins of provocation, now what are we supposed to do as, as parents? Number one, repent. 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 Um, our, our, uh, our children don't learn about the gospel primarily through parents who don't sin against them. Our kids learn about the gospel through parents who sin against them and repent of their sin. It is not the uh, the perfect parents or, or, or the... Well, we just know that category doesn't exist for one thing. So the perfect parent, what really that parent is, is the unrepentant parent. And it's the parent that just never cops to anything and never admits any wrongdoing and, and is always misunderstood. And is never hasn't been sorry in 15 years, right? And some of you had parents like that. You can, you, you, you can or cannot count on one hand the times where... They repented. And by repentance, I mean, here's what I mean. Here's the kind of, here's what we would advocate because this would be getting close to what scripture means. It, it doesn't mean just you're, you're, you're nice again. It doesn't mean that you sinned against them and now you're not sinning against them anymore. And hey, you know, don't you get the point here? I'm, I'm nice now. I'm happy. It's okay. Uh, I'm sorry for what I did. It's supposed to communicate, right? Some of you had parents that did that. And it was supposed to communicate that they were, they were sorry. It's not even just saying words. It's not even just saying, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, when we re- re- repent to our children or repent to our, our spouse or re- re- repent to anyone, I mean, these are the kinds of things that it must involve. Confession. Confession. I would encourage you, when, you, when you're re- repenting to your children, three things. Look right in their eyes. Look right in their in their little eyes. And, and if God brings about emotion in those moments, thank him for it and welcome it and let him see it. You look in that precious little face that, that you sinned against. Look, look them right in their eyes. Be specific. Be specific. And that could be super hard to do. Uh, Daddy is sorry for sinning. Well, your your three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old, your six-year-old, they may not know exactly what that means. Or they may be looking at you going, well, I'm, I'm thinking a few things right now. 
<laughs> you know, which one? But be specific. Look them in the eyes. Be specific. And don't make any excuses. Okay, if when you're re- repenting, you are, you're, 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 you're building a house, okay? When you make excuses, you just rip out the whole foundation. Okay, if your repentance is a tree, it's just like cutting the tree right down at the base. Do not make excuses. Don't say, son or daughter, will you, will you forgive me? Daddy, daddy should not have, have done this. Whatever it is, you get real specific about your sin. You even ask them. I'll ask my boys and say, is there, something, is, there, is there another way that daddy offended you or sinned against you? Is there something else you think that I should apologize for? So get it all out there. But then don't chase that with, but son, you understand. This wouldn't have happened. Just kiss your apology goodbye. And your, your, your child knows that. They know that. It, it, means absolutely, it means absolutely nothing now. Because now what you really said is, you pulled an Adam and an Eve, right? Sorry about eating the fruit, but you know, you know. So no, no, no excuses. Um, and then correct any wrong conclusions uh, that your child may have drawn. So again, if I've done this, and if I've if I've become angry with my children, and I've sinned against them, then I need to correct any wrong conclusions that they've drawn. Like, son, I want you to know that what you did did not warrant that kind of a reaction. That was daddy's sin. I don't want you to think that 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 what you did deserved. Daddy to get upset and frustrated like that. It did not deserve that. To correct any conclusions that they might have. And then number two, evaluate your sin. I would encourage you to, especially if it's something that's recurring, but to evaluate it. Don't just blow it off. Think about what happened and why did it happen. If you sinned against your children, whether it's minute, just over and over again, or it's something that you feel is massive, there's just a, a weight. What happened and, and, and why? You know, did something else happen? Are you prone to take things out on your, on your kids? Be short with them because you're frustrated about something else. Uh, were you just dragged into their sin? Uh, but evaluate. Evaluate and think about what, how did, how did I get into, this is privately, not with them, you know, but how did I, or with your, your spouse, how did I get myself into this mess? How did we, how did we get here? Um, and then, okay, I should have, I should have included there up on repent. I don't think I mentioned it, but repent to God, right? That's first and foremost. But in, in repenting to God, then you've got to uh, accept God's forgiveness, You've got to accept God's forgiveness. Because if you don't accept God's forgiveness, then you're going to you're going to you're going to parent out of guilt. And if you parent out of guilt, it's going to it's going to backfire. And it it doesn't go it doesn't go well. Right, so parents who feel guilty, who don't receive and accept the forgiveness of God and and, and aren't, you know, vertically there's just 
they just can't get past that, then what they do is they turn that horizontally and they'll just, they'll, like guilty parents, right, tend to spoil their kids. Just get their kids anything they want. They just don't want to say no to this child. I want to give them anything they want. And I'm giving them anything they want because I'm, I'm not dealing appropriately with God, with, with my guilt. As well, then, if we're, if we're functioning as guilty parents, sin, okay, parents, sin, it clouds uh, the child's vision of their own sin. So in other words, if I'm, if I'm feeling guilty that and my child really has sinned, my child really has sinned, but I'm functioning as a guilty parent, I feel so bad for what I've done and haven't accepted forgiveness that now I'm not addressing their sin. Right? It's because who's, you know, because your sin has become the bigger sin in the room. Right? And so now your child's sin gets lost. So parents who are not accepting the forgiveness of Christ and getting, you know, back onto the horse of parenting and going back into battle and just have this sort of defeated, guilty thing. They, they spoil the kids or they don't really deal with their kids' sin because it's just overshadowed in their mind and in their heart and in their despair with their own sin. And so they can't function well with their, with their, with their kids. Um, and also, guilty parents have a hard time feeling pity for their child because you're feeling pity for yourself. Self-pity. So you're going to have a hard time really pitying your children and giving them what, what, what they need. As well, it'll, it can be a vicious cycle. But then a child may even... If a child knows that he's got a, a guilty parent and a parent who, okay, when... I mean, think about this. So as your child, children get older and smarter, okay, I... I know that if I push mom and dad, if I push them far enough, okay, then then they will sin. And once they sin, they will feel guilty. And once they feel guilty, they go buy me a toy. <laughs> so guess what your child guess what you end up doing? Because you're functioning as a guilty parent, you're actually you're actually encouraging your children to sin. You're encouraging them to persist in the sin because they don't want to deal with their own sin. They want to get to a place where your sin becomes the bigger sin in the room and their sin gets forgotten and they get a toy. I mean, that's pretty good deal, really. That's what we would we would all want. And finally, number five. Number five, just something. Um, I'll go through this quickly. Just something um, special for mom, something that I, I hope will be helpful. Um uh, moms and dads relate differently to their kids. And I'm convinced, and I think it goes back to the curse, and then you've got lots of Proverbs to, to validate this, that um, I think that the sin of children has a, uh, as a, at the very least, a very different effect on their moms than on their dads. And I, I, I would want to go as far as to say that there is a, a deeper pain, typically, that there is a deeper pain that is felt by moms over dads when their children sin. And so this is why I know I know a lot of you gals and, and, and I know other gals that are are prone to discouragement. Prone to discouragement as moms. Because if some of those things we said in the first place, like, well, I'm supposed to be this and, and supposed to be that, and, and, uh, and I know I'm not, and some of that, that, that pressure. But then I think there is just, there is a, a bond uh, with your child that is so significant 
that when your child is in sin or when you are in sin, when there is conflict and when there is struggle, it is it is agonizing for a mom and it easily brings her to a place of discouragement. Um, Proverbs 10, 1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. That's a very interesting verse if you think about it. Uh, you might think it says a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his father. But it doesn't say that. There's something different in how the Proverbs talk about the, the effect emotionally on a mother when a child is in sin. And so it, it leads moms to at least think or say things like, I can't do this anymore. Okay, I don't know how much more of this I can, I can take. Um, I, I've had it. Here we, here we go again. I can't take it anymore. I'm sure some of you moms have felt that. I'm sure you felt that. So um, I, I say this just to be an encouragement to you. And I would use the word perspective. We use this word a lot in our home. Um, it is easy for us to lose perspective. By perspective, I mean, okay, what, when, when there's conflict in the home and conflict with your children, okay, what is actually happening right now and what is my responsibility? That's what I mean by getting a hold of perspective. Like, because lies will creep in, okay? So what is really taking place right now and what is my responsibility? And I mean this specifically for moms. Number one, number one, remember the struggle is not primarily between you and your child. The struggle is between you and Satan. I mean, seriously, the, the, it may feel like, you know, the, like, eh, there's a struggle here, but that's not the primary struggle. The real struggle, actually, again, if we, if we go back to this, the, the real struggle is not um, mom versus child. The child may think that, but mom knows better. And mom knows the real struggle is mom and child against Satan. This is what mom knows. Mom, you know, the child may be running, but she knows and she's trying to bring him back here because she knows that the real struggle, this isn't, this isn't you and me. This is a problem between you and, and disobeying the Lord and, and, and the enemy and his work. It is not a battle of flesh and blood. It is a war against the, I mean, really. It is a war against the powers and principalities of this dark world. And God has sent parents to help children and minister to them, to teach them how to fight sin. Remember, hiding behind a child's sin is a prowling lion desiring to drag a parent into the mire with the one he has already won over. The one he's already won over, meaning in that moment, the child. Okay? See it like that. Think of it that way. Number two. Remember that the spiritual and emotional pain is significant, I know, but that the spiritual and emotional pain a parent feels after conflict may be a fraction of what the child feels in their little heart. Remember that a child is still young and doesn't have the truth reservoir that parents have to draw from. Children can't process things like adults can and are dependent on parents to be their lifeline to hope and truth in the middle of and after their struggles. So when there's conflict in the middle of it or after it, I mean, I, I know moms and dads, especially moms, there is a lot of spiritual and emotional pain. And remember, though, that what you're going through in your heart, it, it may not even compare 
to what this little child is going through in their heart. Because you and I, right, when 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 we sin or when we're caught up or when we're discouraged, we most of us, we've got we've got a lot of truth that we know. And we've got scriptures that we've memorized and we've got resources, right? We've got this truth reservoir that we draw from and the promises of God that we draw from to, you know, to encourage ourselves. But our children don't have that. I mean, we are their lifeline to that. So don't underestimate whether it's expressed or not the amount of discouragement that can be taking place in the heart of a child who, I mean, one of my precious little boys frequently I see this battle and, and when I see it, I don't have to tell myself to pity. I feel pity when he when, when he starts saying things in, in the in the heat of things like I can't stop sinning. How how painful for that little boy. How painful for him to to have this desire, you know, that wants to please mom and dad that wants to do right. But he's, he doesn't know it. He's quoting Romans 7 and Paul, you know, I don't do what I want to do. What I want to do, I don't do. And he's, he, Paul like freaks out in Romans chapter 7. It's great. And he's like, who will save me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ, my Lord. But a child, a child, we have to be his lifeline to that. And so remember, moms, when you're discouraged and when you're when you're feeling when you're feeling pain, lest it lest it turn inward and not outward on your children. Remember that whether they come to you and say, you know, mother. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling with accepting God's forgiveness, right? I mean, they're not going to do that. They're not going to articulate that. But that doesn't mean that it's not a real emotion that is swirling in their hearts. It, it might be helpful. Number three, remember, parents are here to shepherd and not control. I need to, like, tattoo this on my body. Remember, parents are here to shepherd and not control. So we one of the questions last week asked about this, and when somebody asked something like, you know, what do you do when you're, how do you, when your child's going just kind of nuts, how do you stop them? And I, my answer was basically, you know, I don't. We just, you know, we just wa- we just let it ride out. We just kind of watch. I mean, we don't like get a bag of popcorn or something. And <laughs> but sometimes you just got to let it, you just got to let it take its course. You know, protect the women and children, and then just let it take its course. When a child goes berserk, don't. My encouragement, we don't try to control them. Ride it out and bring them the instruction and consequences when they're sober. Protect them and other children as best you can and speak with great care and wisdom. This may just, some of you may not even deal with this. I don't know. Um, we, we deal with this in our family. We've got, we've got some sin that just gets really, really out of, out of control with our kids. So, um, parents' anger, sharp tone, harsh words, downcast faces are like throwing kindling into Satan's fire. If parents prayerfully watch and wait, a child turns much more quickly. So I would just go back to, um, you know, when you're in the middle of that struggle, when you're in the middle of that conflict, you know, focus on those things like prayer and showing love and, and affection and, and what we had looked at, like when our, when our children are in sin. Though the tendency will be to control, to stop. And if it's to stop them, you know, I'm going to use anger. I'm going to use a, a tone. I'm going to make a face. I'm going to bring out consequences. I'm going to make threats. I'm going to be like, you're making mommy sad. I mean, all these, all these different tactics are going to come out because the goal is to um, control this child. But you are, you are not called by God to con- control anyone. I mean, the Bible talks all the time about self-control. It never mentions others' control. 
never talks about that. We're responsible to control ourselves, and you can't. Some of you parents know this. You cannot control your kids. God has taught me that. I think I really thought I could. Well, I'll sit on them. You can't even sit on them. You cannot control your children. But thankfully, you're not called to control your children. Shepherd. Shepherd, guide, and lead. Number four, be conscious of your, this kind of just goes along with three, be conscious of your disposition and demeanor before your children. Our words, facial expression, tone, and body language all communicate to children. So um, just be conscious of that. Especially if you're, dis- moms, if you're discouraged, uh, you know, you, you pay careful attention to your words, but then uh, tone, nonverbal communication can, you know, can communicate something completely different. Um, so we've got to have all of that, trying to keep all that communication in control. And, and what I, I would say needs to communicate to our children is that I am for you. I know what is best for you. I can handle you and your sin because God has loved and handled me well. That's literally the dialogue I have with myself. I know what is best for you and I can handle you and your sin because God has loved and handled me well. So if we appear desperate and exasperated before our children, then we tell them that God and the gospel are puny and weak. That's what that communicates. Number five, just two more. Um, Remember, moms, when you feel discouraged, you can do this and you must do this. You can do this, Second Peter 1, 3. God has given you everything you need for life and, and, and godliness. You are enabled by the Holy Spirit and He's given everything, everything that you need. So it will feel at times like you, I can't do it and, and you can, you can do it. You can do it. And finally, number six, um, with a good understanding of God's sovereignty, finally, thank God for using sin for good. Okay, so when, when sin happens, when conflict happens, you know, we know, as uh, believers, we know the big hand behind it. We know that. And so you can thank God for the bitter providence and the refining it will bring to you and to your child. It's another flame in the furnace of affliction we are promised to be refined in. And it is another promised tribulation on the way to heaven. It's another opportunity to believe God's word and another opportunity for a reaction to spring from the gospel. It's another opportunity to instruct in the ways of God. So when a child is in sin, we should thank God for the good it will bring and pray he enables them to stop. This will position us to deal with them well. So it's no wonder we have these afflictions and this discouragement. Isaiah 48.10 told us, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And then Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So remember, parents and especially moms, that God has called us to be faithful. God has not called us to be successful. So uh, the best days that we'll have are days that God will be glorified. That's our goal. Our goal is to be faithful so that God will be glorified. And sometimes God will be glorified through a little bit of sin in a day. And sometimes God will be glorified through a lot of sin in a day. But regardless, our calling is to be faithful. And some of you know that the 
the, the, the way it, it feels different at the end of these two days, right? The day where um, there was a lot of sin in your home, but you were faithful. Okay, that, that, that takes a toll, and there's some pain there. But moms and dad, isn't the pain different and far greater when there was a, a lot of sin in the home and you know that you were not faithful? That's the pain. And that's what we, don't, we want to avoid. We want to avoid that, of course, we don't want pain, but we want to avoid that because God is not glorified. God is glorified when we are, when we are faithful. Hopefully some of these things will keep us on that track. Uh, and then for yourself, there's just a couple uh, appendices. Is that how you say that? Uh, a parenting evalu- some parenting evaluation questions. You could ask these, uh, you know, once a month. Once a week, once a day, if you're a glutton for punishment. Uh, things like, if the home is a classroom, what did our children learn today? Uh, did our children see an appearance of godliness with a denial of its power today? Were we lifelines to truth and hope today for our children? What are we doing now we'll regret doing? And what are we doing? Uh, what are we not doing now we'll regret not? That's a great question, by the way. Because your life's a vapor, the Bible says. So what are you doing now that you're going to regret doing? And what are you not doing now that you're going to regret not doing? Uh, it, re- it reveals a lot. Uh, did we address hard issues in our children today? Do we know what they are? Uh, were we strong? Both, were we both strong and gentle today? Did we empathize with our children's struggles? Or were we condescending? Uh, and, and on. And then, um, and then a conflict evaluation. And I mean this for you know, cases where there's where conflict maybe seems perpetual or you just you're hitting walls and you're you know, you're not pushing through them it's not just this come and go but it's kind of this uh you know this this steady uh conflict here's just a, a way that you can you know something to grab onto a way of evaluating that number one pray number two consider provocation okay consider consider this you know evaluate evaluate your home you know because if the one of the things that we find is if our if we're going through a season and our children are um, uh, in a lot of sin, that uh, this hasn't been taking place. So the home's not really that happy of a home. And so it's not like they lose anything when they go out here. You know what I mean? I mean, you want this to feel like there's a break in fellowship. Like, where's all this? But if this stuff isn't, if this stuff isn't taking place when it's going well, there's not a lot of motivation for the child to turn. And so um, consider provocation in regards to uh, maybe laying an angry hand on a child, uh, sharp tone, um, look at your home, were you visibly exasperated, uh, were you too slow to correct, things like that. Uh, and then pray, uh, make a plan. And then the only thing that I, you know, that I added in there again is uh, to long for conversion. Like take time to do that. Take time to do that. I mean, really, when there's conflict going on, take time to set aside time, minutes. To long for conversion, I pray for the conversion because you know, you know your children are going to receive your instructions so much differently, so much differently once, once they're converted, once they're regenerated, once the Holy Spirit is is dwelling in them. It's a totally. We have one one child I believe right now in our home, um, my oldest, who I I believe is is a believer, is born again, and it's 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 very different. It's very different, and I can appeal to him in a very, in a very different, in a very different way. So we're longing for that. We're longing for the conversion.